Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat and the Pittsburgh Penguins. They just keep feeding us stories. They make a lot of changes in their forward lineup, switching some things around in the top nine. We'll talk about that to lead off the show. But as we go on, there's still a lot to talk about in this week of no games up until Friday night. Then they have a back-to-back with Saturday. Then they go on a bye week and have the All-Star break. And don't worry, we'll have some interviews lined up for you guys that way we have content that doesn't stop rolling even though the Pittsburgh Penguins will be heading to whatever corner of the world they head to that's probably warmer than Pittsburgh Pennsylvania right now but we're also today going to talk a little bit about the goaltenders struggling in the month of January did we see this coming how big of an issue is this we're going to dissect all of that a TSN insider believes that or not believes is pleading with Sidney Crosby to get himself out of Pittsburgh. We'll cover that. And then obviously we're going to break out a new segment and see how it fits. Penguins Colony Council will discuss how that's going to work. And we'll have our first edition here later in this episode. But Horowat, before we get into that, last week, four days without a game, no news for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Not much to talk about. This week, three days between a game, everything to talk about surrounding this team. Yeah, here we go. We're back. I didn't know if you had more to say to it. Uh, Get ready for, well, got to get all the news in. We're about to, have, about to have days and days off of filling the void with something. I mean, there will be plenty to talk about. Kyle Dubas apparently decided to push back that. That's another uh, topic that we're not even really getting to. But Kyle Dubas decided to push back the um, deadline for when he's deciding to pick a direction for the for the Penguins for... They can be buyers, sellers. What's going on with Jake Gensel? It's uh, that that got pushed back to after the All Star break, so there'll hmm. be more time for speculation to be had uh, in terms of where this team is going, who's on the chopping block, who's not, what's going on with Jake Gensel, and obviously, tell you what, once we get past these games, I'd expect the Jake Gensel talk to skyrocket as if it hasn't already. Yeah, you you have his agent already posting articles from you about how good Jake Gensel's been for the Pittsburgh Phenomenal. Penguins. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, Ben Hankinson, 
fan of the website. At least we don't know if he's a fan of the show, but uh, we'll have to keep our eyes out for any retweets or likes on the tip of the iceberg account as well. Let's get into the lineup changes the Pittsburgh Penguins made yesterday. Mike Sullivan actually threw these lines in a blender in the final period against Arizona. Didn't get the required result. The Penguins still lose that one by a final score of 5-2. to two. But he carried those lines into practice yesterday, which is interesting. Let's get into it. Brian Rust reunited with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel on the Penguins' top line. Rust has struggled a little bit since coming back from injury, playing mostly with Evgeny Malkin. So he gets bumped up to the Penguins' first line back with Crosby and with Jake Gensel, where he started the season for the first, probably first, what, 30 games before he got injured? Colin White, who has now played three games at the NHL level this season, has been bumped up alongside Evgeny Malkin and Drew O'Connor. I'm sure you have an opinion on that, so too do I. And Ricard Raquel gets the big demotion of the day. He moves down with Lars Eller and Valtteri Pustin to the third line. We've seen this happen you know, last season a couple times, I believe we saw it happen at least for a short period of time this season, but Ricard Raquel moves down in the lineup. Those are the three lineup adjustments the Penguins made. Everything else stayed status quo, fourth line, defense, and obviously you don't get lines of goaltenders in practice, so that's remained status quo, but or what? when you saw these moves, what was your initial reaction, and then we'll go uh, get a little bit of an opinion on each of these forward lines moving forward. Oh, yeah, I mean, if, uh, we'll go line by line later, but I think so far, I don't totally hate this. This team, honestly, outside of the first line and a couple of helpers here and there, um, the offense is struggling. It feels right, like yeah. <clears throat> it, it feels like the way Ricard Raquel started this season without any goals, then picked up five and five games upon coming back, but also has not uh, put one in in the last five, and I think only a couple of points. Uh, it's less. It's been a less than ideal season from him. Uh, Injuries have piled up for guys like Riley Smith, so we can't give too many thoughts on you know, what he's brought to the table. But before the injury, it wasn't great. It was not a good look. Um, and things were you know, declining pretty rapidly for Riley Smith. So he, where would he have fallen into all of this? Who knows? Uh, Valtteri Poussin has kind of dipped in his production. You said he's scoreless in nine uh, this yep. is going to be an interesting look if this is what they take into the game, and I would ass- into the game against Florida, and which is exactly what I assume. Um, I mean, just and I tweeted this just like we all expected. Evgeny Malkin centering Drew O'Connor and Colin White. <laughs> I it, yeah, my thoughts on it are, and we'll get to it. So far, though, it's we'll see. We will see. Yeah, it is the biggest question mark there because Colin White, I mean, he's looked fine in his in his most recent two games. We both talked about how we should kind of wipe away our thoughts from the Carolina Hurricanes game. I didn't like his game in that one, but you thoughtfully reminded me that he didn't know he was yeah. playing in that game until about 10, 20 minutes before. So in the last two, he's looked pretty good. He looked fine in Vegas. He looked fine in Arizona, at least as good as anybody else on that roster looked, except for Sidney Crosby. So I'm intrigued to see what he does on the second line. He brings a little bit more of a net front presence, brings a little bit more money up in the corners so I'm interested to see what that is that's a huge question mark for me though like what does he look like next to Evgeny Malkin now Drew O'Connor has looked great on every single line this season so I would assume that Drew O'Connor is going to continue to play his game like he has all year long whether that be on the third line the first line the second line I don't think he's touched the fourth line this season uh, which is a nice little feather in the cap for a young player in Drew O'Connor but Colin White that to me I I just don't know how that's going to work so I, I can't really say much about it. He's a guy that spent most of last season on the fourth line for the Florida Panthers, so seeing him on a second line with Evgeny Malkin is certainly something that's going to catch people's attention, certainly something that's going to bring, I believe it was Matt on Twitter, uh, that Yinzer, you quote tweeted it, the the 
2014 lineup that had Rob Klinkhammer on the first line. It brings back those type of vibes, but we'll have to obviously wait and see. Thankfully, around them in this lineup is much better than that Rob Klinkhammer one with, I believe it was Marcel Gotch was in that lineup. It was an ugly, Bobby Farnham, it was an ugly lineup. Big shout out to Bobby Farnham, but that was also, that was that, whenever we discuss the, those 16 straight playoff runs, that's, we always pick that year. That was the 14-15 season. It was that one season of, ooh, this is an ugly, ugly Penguins team uh, that just got in by the skin of their teeth. Uh, Who would have thought the very next season they'd be winning the damn cup? Um, Yeah. But yeah, you're right. This lineup does kind of reflect that, except you're right. There's a bit more juice into this lineup, right? There's a bit more, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that guy. It's because it is still Crosby, Gensel, and Rust. Oh, one of the top lines analytically in the league. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get why it, it was separated when it was, but I mean, I went last year, I went from spouting nonstop about keeping Raquel on the first line to not taking Brian Rust off of the first line. So there's that. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, that second line, that is the big Colin White, Drew O'Connor. That is the big energy of who are these people? Who, who mm-hmm. are and what exactly do these guys bring to the lineup? And, you know, that's from the outsider's perspective, obviously. But I tell you what, Drew O'Connor's going to look good up there. And he already has done plenty with uh, Kenny Malkin. And I'm just waiting to see what Colin White does. I don't hate the idea. I'm really curious to see what it can bring. Mike Sullivan said Colin White can bring a... Uh, defensive mindset to that line, which uh, they need, <laughs> which yeah, it needs. Evgeny Malkin kind of needs that sort of defensive help. We saw him, you know, lack lacking on a couple of different opportunities in in that zone uh, in Arizona and in Vegas. So tacking on someone who can play defense like that and play center, if uh, yeah, have it, Mike Sullivan loves having two centers on the line, having the ability to take faceoffs. That's going to be a big help as well. And as for Raquel on the third line, man, it was just a long time coming, right? Like I said, scoreless through the first however many games, and now on a new uh, goalless streak. This this was just almost expected. Yeah, Raquel's had an interesting season. Season, excuse me. Obviously, zero goals in his first seventeen games. He had four points. Then he gets that major injury and misses an extended period of time. Ten points in ten games upon return, but he has kind of flatlined a bit. And this wasn't the first time in Arizona that we saw Raquel get bumped off the first line just to try to provide a spark. And that's why I was questioning whether or not those lineup changes that we saw in Arizona were going to be reflected later in the week because we saw it earlier a couple weeks ago, where in the third period, I believe it was against Carolina. In the third period, they put Rust on that second line. He had a goal and an assist, and the Penguins tied it. The next game, Raquel was back on the first line. So uh, that, to me, I was wondering, okay, is this one that Mike Sullivan's going to stick to, or was this just, hey, we it worked in Carolina. We got back into the game. We tied it up. Let's try it again here in Arizona and see if we can spark some life into this into this unit. But he's sticking with it. And honestly, with Ricard Raquel and his struggles, I do think that it's better than last season for him because last season when he went down to the third line, he was with a very volatile Danton Heinen as the left wing. If it wasn't Danton Heinen, it was Kasperi Kapanen. I can't remember exactly who was on the left side there when Raquel got bumped down, but it was Jeff Carter in the middle. And right now you have Lars Eller, who I think is having a very solid season as the Penguins' third line center. He scored his eighth goal in Arizona, despite it not really being a goal that he planned on going in. But he scored his eighth goal. He's been great defensively. And I think Valtteri Pustinen, as I discussed yesterday on Penguins to Go, is, while not scoring any points in the last nine games, is performing better than he did when he was on a line with Malkin when it comes to underlying performance. His expected goals are up. His... uh 
shot attempts at five on five are up. He is doubling in, in goal production when it comes to when he's on the ice, the Penguins are scoring. Now he's not getting any points in that, but he's certainly working in the process and he's certainly performing well. And you've seen that in his ice time. So putting a guy of the caliber of Ricard Raquel on that line might up the, the offense from the bottom six, which at the end of the day, Ricardo Raquel is not a sieve defensively. He's been pretty good defensively this season. Lars Eller, as I touted, is a great 200-foot center. And Valtteri Pusinen has been better than advertised in the defensive zone and in the 200-foot game. So they do have that defensive leaning, but I think this is the most offensive-centric third line we have seen this season. If not, it is 1B. But I do think that this gives Ricardo Raquel an opportunity to get a little bit less when it comes to the responsibility aspect of it but also getting better matchups against bottom sixes against opposing teams and also being placed with two players that have some talent in the offensive zone and that have some capabilities to make plays, finish plays, and set Ricard Raquel up to hopefully finish plays as well. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Ricard Raquel is a good player. He's a very uh, good hockey player, and he can he showed it a lot with Crosby. He showed what he can bring to the table. And you're right, playing him against now these... Other team, other teams as bottom six could, you know, get him opportunities to flex his skill because he has it. He's got great hands for his position. Uh, the foot speed, I'm not 100 percent sure of. It's hard to tell who on this team is fast because none of them are. I've never uh, seen a team take so long to set up odd man rushes. Yeah, like, they lose odd man rushes constantly because it takes so long to develop their their plays that it people just catch up easily. Yeah, like nothing against Drew O'Connor, but you shouldn't look at him as the fastest player on your team. You just shouldn't. <laughs> nothing against him. He is quick, but it's just like he doesn't because he doesn't strike anyone as a speedster. That being said, Ricard Raquel, he's got the skill to really provide something and giving him. I don't want to say lesser opponents because it's still the NHL and it's yeah. And what sometimes you still get put up against top line defense. Um it's giving him more of an opportunity to succeed in a lesser role against possibly lesser forward groupings. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just see what opens up for him. Lars Eller's coming, coming along, coming along pretty nicely. Uh, and this could be a good little, uh, a good little trio for the uh, Penguins third mm-hmm. line. I like it so far. Now I do reserve the right to, to put an asterisk on playing against some, less skilled opponents because Florida Panthers are the next team on the schedule and they are as deep as any team in the National Hockey League. So outside of Florida, he might get better matchups because the Florida Panthers are just stacked on the forward side of things and on the defensive side of things. So after that, maybe, you know, when you see the Montreals of the world come in and pretty much most other teams in the National Hockey League, he is going to get you know, better matchups than he does with Sidney Crosby because Crosby goes up against the best of the best the other team has to offer every single night. So I think that should help Ricard Raquel. And then when we talk about the first line, you mentioned it's still statistically and analytically one of the best lines in hockey. They right now still rank ninth on moneypuck.com and expected goals for with 61.1% at five on five. This is a line that, like you mentioned last year, it was Mike Sullivan's like safety line. Like, oh, there's there's a little bit too much going on. Let me let me retreat back into my safety line of of Crosby, Gensel, and Rust. And that's what it's been this season. It's been very, very good. Let's not forget the one year, I believe it was the year outside of the bubble. Um, Brian Rust, Sidney Crosby, and Jake Gensel were again one of the top lines in the National Hockey League. I think that's when Brian Rust scored 28. Jake Gensel scored, I believe. Not 40 that season. I don't remember, but there there was one season that that line was the first line the entire year, and it was absolutely dominant. 
there's very few times where that line isn't dominant. So I understand putting them together and, and, you know, we talked about the other two, but the big thing for me is while yes, I I think Mike Sullivan deserves credit. um, He's doing everything he can to switch lineups up. People that want to call him stubborn. Yes, I can see it in some aspects, but this season should do a lot to dispel that. I mean, he's making changes on the fly more often than we have seen in his entire tenure. And you see, that yes, while he does come out and he says we need to give players time to gel and we need to give certain lineups opportunities to build on momentum, you look at what he's done this season, he doesn't wait too long. He's been shuffling things on the forward side. I understand. On the power play, you want things changed. But at 5-on-5, five five, Mike Sullivan has not been afraid to move the lineup. The only problem with that is... I don't think much is going to change unless a bigger move is made, whether that be via trade or maybe you try to give somebody like a Yessa Pugliarvi who you haven't seen or somebody like a Sam Poulin who you haven't seen. What we've seen at the NHL level right now, I don't know if that is enough to push them over the top into a playoff spot. Do you? No, I don't know yet. I doubt it. This team is... They're floundering too much. Every time they get that opportunity to enter a, like I said this last episode, every time they get that opportunity to enter the wild card spot, they fumble it. So they got to remain consistent in finding that one win that matters. I mean, they all matter, but the one that can push them over the edge and into uh, into the postseason. I'd say at the moment, I don't see them getting over that hump just yet. It's, I mean, like, and also, like I said before, too, it's, they can win both of these games on Friday and Saturday, and then we're still entering a bye week in the All-Star break, not in a playoff spot. So the Penguins have that to kind of uh, focus on and worry about. And here's the thing. They haven't gotten into it, I understand, points percentage. They have at certain points over the past couple of weeks, but on NHL.com, they haven't gotten into it. And there is a mentality shift that might happen once they do. Because as Sidney Crosby talked about yesterday, as Brian Russ talked about yesterday after practice, they're in a dogfight, they're chasing. What changes once you get into a spot and you're no longer chasing? You're still chasing the teams above you because the Pittsburgh Penguins don't want to be a wild card team. You don't want to face one of the division champions. You want to get into that 2-3 matchup in the Metropolitan Division. So while they'll still be chasing, they'll be sitting in a spot. And what changes in the mentality of that? You're hoping... It doesn't go the opposite direction. You say, all right, now we can be a little bit safe because there's going to be no safety net for the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. Even if they get into a playoff spot, there's going to be no safety net for them until the end of the year comes and they are solidified with an X next to their name in the standings. There's no safety net. But what mentality shift is there once they get back into an actual playoff spot? We haven't seen that because they haven't been in a playoff spot. So that's something, again, while Crosby mentioned it yesterday, um, you were there whenever he said this. He mentioned, you know, ask the Florida Panthers what it's like to be chasing and and whether or not that helped them last year. Yeah, it did. But at the end of the day, sorry, Sid, you're not the Florida Panthers. They are younger, they are deeper, and they have scoring coming from every single corner of the universe. And at the end of the day, they have a goaltender who at his best is better than your goaltender at his best. You need to be, I think Bobrovsky, whenever he's at his best, is a Vezina caliber. He's shown that in his career. Now, at this stage of his career, is he? I don't know. He took him to the Stanley Cup final last year. But... Started that postseason as their third goalie, though, and hit but, a hot streak. Hey, you know, it's still, it, ifs and nuts, you know, it's... Correct. You know, that's what I mean. If he's at the top of his game. Yeah. Because for him, there's no middle ground. It's top of his game or it's Columbus Blue Jackets anytime they face the Penguins in the playoffs. Tristan Jari at the top of his game, I don't think, reaches those heights. Which is where I see the vast differences between the Penguins and the Florida Panthers of last year. But I will give him this. 
if you're playing with nothing to lose, or if you're playing with everything to lose in every game, it should give you that sense of urgency, and it should prepare you for the postseason if you can make it. He's right in that aspect. So, will the Pittsburgh Penguins be able to get over that hump? Maybe, but I think that there needs to be a move made in order for them to get there. I don't think the players on this team, no matter which amalgamation Mike Sullivan throws out there in the lines, which he's done a lot of, I don't know if that's enough to get them over the hump, get them over the four teams between them and safely sitting in a playoff spot. Yeah, they have to prove they deserve something like that still. Yeah. 100%. So we have plenty to talk about. Speaking of Tristan Jari and the Penguins goaltenders, they've had a rough go of it in the month of January. The defense hasn't been great either. We will offer that caveat as well, but we have plenty to discuss concerning Tristan Jari and Alex Nedeljkovic. We'll do that right after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, I think both of us can agree that previously, before January 1st, goaltending was probably the Pittsburgh Penguins' biggest strength outside of Sidney Crosby being a freak of nature, correct? Yeah, it was. Uh, They looked really good. They were one of the most talked about points of um, bright spots, one of those few bright spots at the you know, the Penguins were carrying with them and also one of the most unexpected upsides, I think, because heading into the season, let's just be real, Alex Adelkovich was kind of a reclamation project and Tristan Jari had a ton to prove. And they both proved to be viable options. Uh, things haven't been the same since, but at the same time, I think there's they've still proven that they can do it. So but this is what we're here to discuss. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins since January 1st have not gotten that stellar goaltending that they got through from October through December, and that's been a story of Tristan Jari's past. I don't want to keep bringing that up, and I'm not going to go into the actual numbers because I've done it plenty of times, but Tristan Jari not having a good month of January as of right now. 1-3-2 and two this month with a 9-0-1 save percentage, down from a 9-16 from prior in the season from October through December. He was a 9-16 down to a 9-0-1 in January, 2.43 goals against average which is up from 2.29 previously in the season. Meanwhile, Alex Nedeljkovic has a 2-1 record with an 8.89 save percentage down from 9.24 and 2.5 goals against average down from, or yeah, up from 2.45. So both of them have numbers going in the wrong direction. I will say the one little caveat here is also Tristan Jari had a very good stretch from when he came in in relief in the Vancouver game through the Carolina and Seattle games, and then through the first two periods of the Vegas game, he looked very good. He was at the top of his game. But then, I mean, you still lost that Vancouver game. You still lost that Carolina game. And you still lost that Vegas Golden Knights game. He shut out the Seattle Kraken. That was great. He's shown that he has that capability. He has the ability to go out there and perform the way he did in in October. When October was bad. In November and December... But, you know, the overall numbers aren't great. The defense in front of them hasn't been great. But Horwat, the goaltending struggling, at least, you know, from a number standpoint. And when you watch the games, there's just some times where you say, man, if it's not the timely save, it's just them not showing up on a given night. I mean, you look at what happened in Arizona. Obviously, the own goal was not Tristan Jari's fault. But some of those goals you look at and you say, man, the defense was bad, but you just eventually you got to get a save. And Alex Nedeljkovic on his own 889 save percentage, you know, no matter what way you split it, just unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not where things should be. It, 
you're right, the defense hasn't been great in front of them. It seemed like in Vegas and Arizona there were just countless odd man rushes, just odd man rush, odd yeah. man I mean, what is Tristan Jari supposed to do in those situations? And for what it's worth, it seemed like he made all those saves, though, on those A odd man rushes. I can't, off the top of my head at least, uh, remember any of those odd man rushes capitalizing again. Probably has, I'm just not remembering. The Nick, but, uh, sorry, not the Vegas one, but in, in Arizona, the Nick Bukestad one was the yeah. dagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that happens after, I think, I think, <laughs> I think everyone was just too red mist after the own goal to remember that Nick Bukestad scored as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, they're these the goalies are doing what they can in terms of they are they st- even with these numbers trending downwards. I think because they're stopping so many on man rushes, they still look decent enough and viable enough. It's just something's getting leaky. Something mm-hmm. in the, in there, um something in there is getting through them so it's a matter of finding what it is and i i still firmly believe that these two can turn into it's not a goalie controversy but in some cases having a goalie controversy can be a good thing Hmm. in turn they just have to both be good Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they can both get back to that maybe that turns into the 1a 1b situation like it was for a couple of weeks Hmm. earlier this month late last month it's very possible that they can easily find that trend again. Yeah, Mike Sullivan is 100% riding the hot hand when he can in net, and it's just straight starts, straight starts, straight starts. Now, each of them will get a start this weekend because he got a back-to-back scenario coming up. Penguins have a lot of back-to-back scenarios on the schedule in the month of March, In the first three weekends of March are all back-to-backs on Saturday and Sunday. So you're going to see both of them continue to get ice time. And here's the thing. We mentioned the defense. In that span... Pittsburgh Penguins are averaging 29 shots allowed per game. That's not awful, right? I mean, yeah, you'd like them to give up only 24, 25 shots a game. 29 is up towards the 30. But if you're under 30, you're not giving up a lot of quantity. Now, the problem Mm -hmm. is Penguins give up quality of shots, and they don't help their goaltenders out very much. They're 28th in the National Hockey League this year in block shots. And now that's not just the defensemen. That goes to the forwards as well, although I don't want to really bash Noel Achari for not blocking shots because he has the vast majority of the Penguins block shots this season. That man has more black and blue marks than a UFC fighter. But, you know, 28th in the National Hockey League in block shots this season are the Pittsburgh Penguins. 19th, according to moneypuck.com, and expected goals against per game in 2.57. So the defense isn't helping them out, but they are certainly trending downward as far as the goaltenders are concerned. They've had some good performances, but they're not trending in the right direction, and they're not making up for the mistakes and I get it it shouldn't be their job all the time but they're not making up for the mistakes of the defense as much as they did in November and December which is what got the Penguins back into this race yeah it's just a matter of finding that rhythm again they're not making up those mistakes like you said I could again couldn't have said it too much better myself so here's the question that I have now again this is not 10 ball alarm these guys are horrible again this is Hey, there's some there's some cracks in the foundation here with Tristan Jari and Alex Nedeljkovic. Is this something that is going to continue to deteriorate, or is this something that they're going to catch and they're going to get back to the level that they were at? If they don't, and this continues to deteriorate, I see this as a more important issue or a more pivotal issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins than their failed power play. Now, their power play is second to last in the NHL. It has been putrid all season long, but I do think that if the Penguins goaltenders continue on the, the path that they're currently running at, that's way more dangerous to the Penguins' chances of making the playoffs than their power play figuring anything out. Do you agree with that, or, or do you think that I'm uh, I'm out to lunch on this take? Uh, I can see both sides of it. Hmm. 
um, I think I might side more with you just because the power play feels like a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. It feels dead in the water. It doesn't even feel like it's worth doing anything with. Um, but if that's the case, if you're not going to be scoring and you know you're not going to be scoring in those opportunities for what it's worth, the Penguins have played pretty fine at 5 on 5. Mm-hmm. You know, Sidney Crosby and Jake Ansel for a long time were the leaders of the pack in terms of even strength scoring. So when you know you're not getting that sort of offense in those opportunities, it becomes vitally important that your goaltending makes all of the stops. Yeah. Now, again, they're not going to put up shutouts for the rest of the season. Tristan Jari is somehow leading the league in, in shutouts, or at least tied for it, uh, <clears throat> with Connor Ingram, of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and he's and he's and he's earned that he's earned that stat, and he's played really well in those. I think it's five. Five. In those five games. Yeah. Alex Nedeljkovic, at the same time, has some steps forward to take again after taking a couple steps back. Um, yeah, I would, I'd be with you on that take and saying that getting the goaltending fixed is more important than the power play, just in terms of if you know you're not scoring on the power play, even if they start scoring a little bit, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's going to be enough and you have to keep the puck out of the net. Start winning Islanders hockey two to (laughs) one, Yeah, Uh, you know, start playing the defense. Yeah. Start committing to the scheme and and to the you know, structure that Mike Sullivan's trying to put in place. Um, Rob Rossi had a great piece in The Athletic last week about Brian Russ saying, you know, sometimes great players abandon the structure because they trust their instincts. And I'm sure that's frustrating for Mike Sullivan. So, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that article. Go read it. It's a great piece from from Rob at The Athletic. But here's the thing about this conversation that I, I think of. The Penguins have gotten to where they're at. Yes, it's not a great position. They're in seventh in the Metropolitan Division, but they still have games in hand on everybody. And it seems like over the last two days, everybody ahead of them, has continued to lose and give them more games in hand. Like, the Capitals got flushed last night. So a lot of teams in front of them continue to lose games and give the Pittsburgh Penguins games in hand while also keeping that distance very short between the Penguins and a potential playoff spot. They've gotten to where they're at right now without a power play. It's been bad. (laughs) 95% of the season, it has been bad. And not just bad. It has been horrid. It has been worst power play we have seen in Pittsburgh in the Sidney Crosby era, bar none. They're still where they're at. They're still in a good position in the standings. That's on the back of Tristan Jari and Alex Nedeljkovic. We've seen over previous seasons what happens when Tristan Jari and his backup don't play well. It Mm -hmm. ends the Pittsburgh Penguins season. It was the reason the Pittsburgh Penguins missed the playoffs last season. Say what you will, Tristan Jari's absence due to a hip injury and how long it took him to recover from it and his performance after coming back from it cost the Pittsburgh Penguins last season. Is that out yep. of his control? A little bit. Yeah. Hip injury is tough to come back from, especially as a goaltender trying to sit in butterfly, trying to get up and down constantly, night in, night out, at practice, all of it. I understand it. But that's why I think goaltending right now is a more pressing issue. Again, it's not, the bottom hasn't fallen out yet, but you need the bottom not to, because if the bottom falls out on that, at that point, the season's over. It, mm-hmm. It's over. So that to me is a more pressing issue than the power play. That's why I say it. And I understand that's probably why that you're sitting on the fence and saying, listen, let's not, let's not rule out the power play being an important issue. It is, I get it. But I think goaltending is, is a rung above in that instance. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and that was, and I kind of gave that answer without really thinking too hard into, into the power play, because you're right. The Penguins have gotten where they are now. Um, 
without a great power play, and I'm about to immediately reverse about what I, everything I just said because oh. you have to figure the amount of one goal games that the Penguins have lost and not scored a power play goal in those games. Even overtime points for in those games pushes them into a playoff spot. Yeah. Even maybe they find another one. Maybe they find some victories in there. They're in the middle of the playoff race. They're mm-hmm. in probably the top three of the Metro. So. Again, how about the the correct answer to this question is how about both? both? That that's the correct answer here. But if you had to just pick one, I mean, it might turn into the power play because of I forgot how many games that they have lost without scoring a power play goal by a singular goal. Yeah. Uh so yeah, yeah. See there, there it is. I've I've answered both for you. Yeah, essentially what we're doing is having a chicken or the egg discussion about the Penguins' power play and the goaltenders. You know, it, And again, my pushback, we're not going to keep going back and forth, but my pushback on that is it wouldn't have been a one-goal game without the goaltenders in a lot of those That's instances. also fair. So, I mean, again, chicken and the egg. You can have this conversation round and round, day after day, and I'm sure we will, honestly, until the end of April, whenever the Penguins' season is either over or they're in the postseason. So, uh We'll continue to discuss, but we have more to discuss on this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. A TSN analyst making an idiot of himself is, is how I'm going to tease that one. And then Penguins Colony Council. Uh, we'll get into that after this quick break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins. Just a little pull behind the curtain here. I had the rundown all set, and this next segment was not anywhere to be found because I hadn't heard this yet, I hadn't seen this yet. And then Nick Horwat just sent this to me and got me all revved up at 7.30 in the morning on a, on a Thursday morning, and uh, we're going to have to discuss it here. TSN's Brian Hayes is pleading to get Sidney Crosby out of Pittsburgh, saying, quote, I want to see him chasing Stanley Cups. I believe he's already a lock, top 10 player of all time. I think he could make a solid case for being top five. And I think if he follows in the footsteps of Tom Brady, goes somewhere else, wins a cup, that is going to make the case for him to get into the top five of all time. I have plenty to say on this, but Horwat, I'll let you say your piece first on Brian Hayes, in my opinion, making an idiot of himself on SportsCenter in Canada. So I'll just kind of leave it at uh, this is, like we always discuss, it is uh, media north of the border once again asking Sidney Crosby to be traded out of Pittsburgh. This is is a tale as old as time. They've been uh, banging the drum for this sort of thing since before they won the back-to-back Cups in er, in, uh, 16 and 17. So this is nothing new. Uh, my thought process on it is um, I like hearing what these guys have to say just because sometimes they do come up with some pretty wild, uh, some pretty interesting comparisons, like the Tom Brady one. I'll take the Tom Brady comparison in one way, and that is they are athletes at the in their later stages of their careers still playing at the top of their game. I will not take the com- the, the comparison of shipping one of them off to another town just to win a championship. It's phenomenal that Tom Brady did that. It's not like he played for the Steelers at any point or for a football team I root for at any point. In fact, he played played for teams I root against most of his career. Mm. Um, 
but I had always respected Tom Brady for his work. That was a different situation, though, and now here we are with Sidney Crosby, again, playing like Tom Brady, aging into his late 30s and still playing at an MVP level. Um, so there's that comparison there, and I thought the even funnier part, the one that I... The, the, the mark that I really stuck to and I, I actually had a giggle at was when uh, Hayes said that a, uh, a good destination for him would be the Boston Bruins because they need a top-line center and they have a, and this is the one that got me, a history of playoff success. <laughs> Buddy, they lost to the Panthers last year <laughs> in the first round after having a record-breaking regular season. Um, and the Penguins have won three in the Crosby era while the Bruins have won once. So the playoff success aspect of it, no. <clears throat> but and at the end of the day, too, I brush most of what uh, Canadian reporters say about Sidney Crosby just right off my shoulder. Yeah, I don't know if they can look at that with a uh, with a, an eye of just right down the middle. Uh, I think the Tom Brady thing was a new flavor of idiocy that was brought into this organization or th this conversation here. I mean, it's miles off. I get it. Yeah. They're both what you said. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sidney Crosby's probably the Tom Brady of the NHL right now. He has the cups, more cups than most people in the NHL right now, at least top line stars and, and obviously certainly captains in this league. He has the most, I think I, I'd have to go back through and look, but he is, he's is the aging star that doesn't stop performing at a high level I get that but Tom Brady always had that aura of well it was it Brady or was it Belichick was it Brady that got them six Super Bowl rings or was it Belichick Belichick considered widely and I would agree greatest coach in the history of the NFL while Mike Sullivan is from Boston he's not Bill freaking Belichick all right, there is no question as to whether or not Crosby played a major part in the Pittsburgh Penguins Stanley Cup runs. Yeah, he didn't get the playoff MVP in 2009, but he got it in 2016. He got it in 2017, and say what you will, he was a major part of those Stanley Cup runs. Maybe Phil Kessel deserved it in 2016 over Sidney Crosby, but that's the voters' problem. It's not that Sidney Crosby didn't perform. Sidney Crosby has led this team throughout his entire career. There is no question as to who has led to the success of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the last 19 seasons. It is Sidney Crosby, whereas in New England, there was always the question, is it Tom or is it Bill? That's not a question in Pittsburgh. This is not a viable reasoning for Sidney Crosby to need to go somewhere else to solidify his legacy. Sidney Crosby is, as you said, Brian, and I'm speaking directly to Brian Hayes here. As you said, he is a solidified top 10. He's a solidified top freaking five already. The only thing that he hasn't solidified in my eyes is Mount Rushmore because it's very hard to solidify that in the NHL. Wayne Gretzky was the great one. Mario Lemieux was also... You know, one of the top two. Yarmir Yager can get in that discussion. Gordie Howe deserves to be in that discussion. So there's already four right there that you have to try to overcome. But here's the thing with Sidney Crosby. This isn't even Ray Bork, if you want to go to another Boston. He has three Stanley Cups. He doesn't need to go somewhere else to, to get over the hump. He's already gotten over the hump three different times. And right now what you're seeing is, no, he doesn't have a team around him, and we'll get to that in a second. But he's continuing to do things that we've not seen many people do in the history of this league. He's 36 years old. He's on pace for 50 goals, which would only be, as Brian mentioned, the second time that he's ever reached that mark in his career. If he gets to the 50-goal mark, I believe so, he'll get to 600 career goals. Wes Crosby tweeted about that yesterday. He's missed out on over 100 games of his prime. 
and he's still climbing up these NHL historic leaderboards with ease at the age of 36. Even if he doesn't win another Stanley Cup, as of right now, it looks like he's going to continue to climb up these leaderboards. I have my projections on how he could get into the top five all-time of scoring. He doesn't need to win another Stanley Cup to cement himself as a top five player in the history of the National Hockey League. He might need to win one. You know, winning one certainly wouldn't help, but he can do other things in Pittsburgh that'll get him to that level. I get he wants to win Stanley Cups, but everything that I know about Sidney Crosby, at least over 18 years of watching him, five years of watching him very closely by doing this podcast, and two years of watching him very closely by writing for InsideThePenguins.com, nothing about anything I've seen in those years suggests to me that he's going to get ready to try to get his way out of Pittsburgh anytime soon. Man, I love that I was able just to pop my <clears throat> microphone on mute and let you go for a few minutes there. That'll be a great <laughs> clip to have on the uh, have on the internet. Um, you're right, and that's that's the the ending part of what you said. There's almost always why I <clears throat> excuse me brush these things just off the shoulder, let them talk for a minute, hear what they have to say, see if they can bring any tangible you know tangible reasoning or uh, any sort of good backing. You're right, Sidney Crosby is already a top five. I mean, the, the Mount Rushmore quote-unquote discussion is something that happened, I believe it was earlier this season already, mm-hmm. uh, or in the offseason, whatever it may have been. And you listed those names and still didn't even bring up the ideas of Bobby Orr. If you wanted to throw Mike Bossy up there, if you wanted to throw Mark Messier, Ron Francis, there's the list could go on. Mm-hmm. It is a tough thing to hit, you're right. And Crosby is definitely top ten, he's definitely top five. And... Here's the thing too that because it's coming from and it all this 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 conversation almost always comes from uh, the north of the border media outlets. Ask anyone in the Pittsburgh room; they know he's not going anywhere, and that's the end of the conversation. You ask anyone that's been around the team for even a little bit; they understand this. It's just not happening. I think the dude's gonna sign a contract July first this year <laughs> to yeah. solidify that he's not going anywhere. Yeah. So. Again, we're not going to dwell on this too much longer, I don't think, unless you've got more of a tangent to go on. Uh, No, I don't have a tangent to go on. I just have something else to discuss really quickly before we move over to Penguins Colony Council. I'm interested to see how this is received. Um, Of course. But with that said, I do think the Penguins do need to get him some help. But here's the thing. Of course. Kyle Dubas has made a few good moves, a few not so good moves in six months as the Pittsburgh Penguins president and general manager. But he's had one offseason. Limited assets and stacked with horrid contracts. Mm-hmm. Like, Jeff Carter's been fine on the fourth line. He's been fine. Yeah. He's all right. He's not worth three-plus million dollars. You could allocate that much better than putting it on a fourth-line right wing that plays primarily defensive hockey. So, you know, while Kyle Dubas, I'm not say, sitting here saying he's done God's work, he's done some pretty good things, he's done some pretty bad things at the same time, I don't think Sidney Crosby's sitting here saying, well, I've run out of patience with you. Right. You know, I, I don't think you've done enough here. I let trade me right now. Like the, the, the slap shot, Denny Lemieux trade me right effing now. Like that's not going to happen because Sidney Crosby's going to give Kyle Dubas time. If he wasn't, then he would have requested a trade right after Kyle Dubas was hired. He wants to make <laughs> it work here. This is a guy that yeah. lived with Mario Lemieux, the pillar of loyalty to the city of Pittsburgh and the Penguins organization. He lived with him for the first several years of his career. He's taken those values. He's had those values. He's going to carry those values through the remainder of his career. No questions asked in my eyes. For sure. For so. sure. It's He'll be around. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, and if he if he does want to go, I don't think anybody in Pittsburgh is going to begrudge him for it. No. No, 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 no. We, everyone can see what this... The dire- 
can maybe see the direction this team is going. Yeah. This as long and everyone here's the thing too is that everyone always says as long as Sidney Crosby is on this roster, you're going for it. There is no ifs, mm-hmm. ands, or buts about it. They don't have a choice but to go for it. Um we kind of mentioned last week, maybe you kind of sell off this year and go for it next year, but that's a different conversation for a different time. We'll see what happens after the after the All-Star break. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, obviously, after this season, what Sidney Crosby does heading into a contract year at the age of 37, or at least if going to If he doesn't already be, have a new one. If he doesn't already have a new one. Yeah, listen, you got to at least get to July 1st before you can sign one. So there's going to be some speculation in the next four months, five months, whenever it is. But, you know, it might be put abruptly to an end on july 1st at noon like that might be the first move that happens on free agency day is wow they they signed Sidney crosby who's still had a year left in his contract that that tracks that tracks but let's move over to the final segment of the show first time we're doing this one as i write my timestamp so i know what time it is uh penguins colony council everybody still loves survivor right like that's still must watch tv right horwatt I've never <laughs> caught an episode of my life, so you're asking the wrong personnel. I think I said this before on this show, but during COVID, whenever obviously nothing new was coming out and you were stuck inside every hour of the day, started watching Survivor. Got through about three seasons before it became too repetitive. I don't know how they're on season, what, like 40 right now? Who still watches that on network television? On network television of all things, too, because network television is dying, too. Uh, that's a good point. Is it still on network? Yes, it is. I know nothing about the show. What am I saying? I keep seeing, I keep seeing Survivor, 8-7 Central on CBS. I'm like, really? They're still doing this? Like, I don't know how many times you have to bring bring back Boston Rob before it just becomes too repetitive. Season 45, 661 episodes. I underestimated season 45. That's ridiculous. But I mean, regardless, this is not a, this is not to talk about Survivor. If anything, we would talk about The Bachelor, but We want to debut a new segment here called Colony Council. Everybody knows a group of penguins. It's called a colony. So this is Colony Council, a.k.a. Tribal Council for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll pick our last penguin in who is basically voted off the island or at least getting closest to being voted off the island in our eyes. And also we're going to say the first penguin out of the penguins lineup because this is the NHL. You take somebody out. You have to put somebody back in. Doesn't necessarily have to be from the same position, but does not include injured players. So with that said, Horwat, I'll let you. Do you want to? Do you want to start off with this? Because I know you right now. You look like you have your your thinking face on. Uh, I got my two names down, and okay. I'm curious to see where they can go from here. All mm. right. Well, Horwat, who are you voting off the iceberg? I like that you're calling it the iceberg. That's awesome. Uh, I'd start with Pio Joseph. I think. Now, in terms of voting off, I'd say you could take him out, in uh, whether it be through waivers or through the minor league system. Or via trade, because now he might become a little under-the-radar trade prospect here. Um, just haven't been as impressed with his play, and it's a damn shame what happened to uh, what was one of the better defensive prospects in the system. Um, things just haven't looked right. I think John Ludwig has really stepped up in a proper way to conceal a spot over P.O. Joseph once he is healthy. Um, again, the returns for Ryan Shea have still been meh at best. Uh, it's hard to really make noise as a third-pairing defenseman, but Ryan Shea has been steady, I guess. And like I said, just John Ludwig just brings more, uh, brings more grit, brings more grime, and is seemingly stealing the spot right out mm-hmm. from under P.O. Joseph, especially with a trade deadline closing in. That's you know kind of my way out in my eyes. I wish I had a half-burnt piece of paper that I could unfold and put on the screen right now, <laughs> um, because it would also say P.O. Joseph. 
I, I think okay. he's the one that I would vote off the iceberg as well. It seems like he's like you said, he's just keeping the seat warm for John Ludwig. And, and you could say what you want about maybe you try Ludwig with Joseph, but I really kind of like what Chad Ruedel's done more than I've liked what P.O. Joseph has done. Low bar to clear. Don't get me wrong. Very low bar to clear. But Chad Ruedel, at the very least, has shown a little bit more willingness to body check and ability to body check than P.O. Joseph does. Joseph is is still struggling in the front of the net, and he's still... Yeah, he had some jump in Arizona. He made the play. They got the Penguins on the board in that first goal in the second period. But I, I do think that still he's the guy... Especially when you look at the forward side, I don't think there's anybody right now that's really on the chopping block. Obviously, you see Colin White getting an opportunity on the second line, as we discussed. And I, as I discussed yesterday, I think Valtteri Pustinen is starting to gain the trust of Mike Sullivan and starting to kind of solidify a role at the NHL level, even if he's not scoring, which is huge for him. Um, but I, I think that with all that being said, it, it's P.O. Joseph. It has to be. And now the only thing we're missing is Jeff Probst coming out with, with something that just extinguish the flame for P.O. Joseph. So he is the one that we have both voted off the iceberg here. I'm not sure how frequently we're going to do this. But as of right now, he's voted off of the iceberg. Who's coming up strong, Horwat? Who do you think would take his place? And again, doesn't have to be a defenseman because like we said, Victor, not Victor, Jesus, why do I keep saying Victor Ludwig? John Ludwig coming back immediately fills his role and then that's it. So yeah. who comes up strong to you? From the AHL level, or even from minor, uh, from from juniors, if you want to go that deep, even though it's 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 unlikely we're going to see Braden Yeager anytime soon. It's pretty unlikely at this at this uh, juncture. Yeah, at this juncture, I, I I was torn between a couple of names, and I'm sure you may just cover the other one, but I'm going to pull from Sam Poulin for now. Mm. Um, he had that scoring streak not too long ago. I believe he scored again last night. He did. Nice backhand um, goal. Love to see it. Yeah, it's. He'll, he'll bring that offense that, at this point, if we're riding with Colin White and Drew O'Connor in the second line, there's no reason why Sam Poulain couldn't slide into Drew O'Connor, uh, to, uh, not screw it, Drew O'Connor or Colin White's spot mm. uh, next to Evgeny Malkin and make Sam Poulain suddenly a top six player rather than uh, a third liner like he was for, I think it was three games, two games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a matter of finding the opportunity. It's exactly what they're giving to Colin White right now, which is an opportunity in the top six. Uh, to see what he can do, play defensively. But if the Penguins are impressed enough with Sam Poulin's defensive game because they wanted to build that, they wanted that to kind of grow before he can take the step forward in the NHL, I mean, the offense is there, it seems. A couple of huge goals in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sam Poulin be the next guy up to not only make you know get back into the NHL roster, but be above... The bottom six. Be a second line guy with Evgeny Malkin. Maybe wake something up in Malkin that wasn't there before. Um, that's my option there. My second one was uh, Paul Yarvi, as usual. But again, doesn't have a contract, so it's a little. There's just an extra step to take there. There is an extra step, but I think that if I was Kyle Dubas right now and you needed to bring somebody up, which, like I mentioned, I don't know if you do. I think they're going to give Colin White at the very least these next two games, and then they're going to reassess after the All Star break. Yes, Apuliarvi is a guy that I would go for. I mean, he was scoreless in his first couple of games, coming off of double hip surgery, trying to get back up to speed. But you look at what he's at right now at the AHL level. He has six points in nine games this season with the Wilkes first Grand Penguins. Three goals, three assists. He had two points last night, a goal and an assist. He had the assist on that Sam Poulin goal. And he also took the puck in the neutral zone 
one to the outside as stuff's falling down around me, one to the outside, and then shot the puck past Louis Domingue. So he has come up, and he's performed really well at the AHL level. He's played pretty consistently. He's played on back-to-back nights on a couple of occasions, I believe. So him and Poulin, I, I agree with you. Those are the two that are starting to build some chemistry down there and starting to make a case to come up to the NHL level. And I think that, listen, this lineup has not figured itself out in 44 games. We've seen these changes. We're going to see what they look like over the next two games. But there's nothing that gives me overwhelming you know, belief that it's going to all of a sudden click in, oh, this is the lineup that's going to get them to the postseason. No more changes needed. There's going to be changes that are going to be needed here in the mm-hmm. near future. Riley Smith coming back. I don't know where he would he would land. I don't know what his status is right now. Matt Nieto is still going to be out for at least probably another month. I mean, who knows? We heard Mike Sullivan basically say, as, as I said a couple times on the show, don't expect an update until you see the whites of his eyes. And nobody has seen the whites of his eyes as of yet, at least not on the ice up at UPMC Lemieux Complex. So I think that one of these two are going to get a shot coming up here. And I think, honestly, in my opinion right now, even though I think both of them are neck and neck, I'd go with Yesa Pugliarvi just simply because he has that NHL experience. He knows what that is day to day. And I do think that he's a bigger body. He plays a little bit more stout in the defensive zone. He's proven to do that at the NHL level. And I do think that he'd be able to acclimate to it and get points going a little bit faster than Poulain. But I wouldn't hate the Poulain thing either, especially if you're putting him on the second line. I'd love to see Sam Poulain get that opportunity because a lot of people are becoming impatient with this guy. And I think it's, un, you know, I think it's unjust based on, you know, the roadblocks that have been placed in front of this guy, whether it be injury, whether it be, you know, COVID that really messed with him when it comes to his ability to play a lot of games during the COVID break, because not a lot of leagues were playing games in that time. So I, I do like both of these guys, but I'm going to, I'm going to cast my vote for yes, a That's fair enough too. And that, like I said, both of those are viable options. Yeah. Um, the thing with Pooley is you could stick him in the bottom six and get along just fine. That's mm-hmm. kind of almost where they're expecting him to be. Yeah. Last week, the pool and- party line. Yeah, and then, but if it's Sam Poulin at this juncture, hey, like Colin White's playing alongside of Genny Malkin. Why couldn't Sam Poulin do something like that? So yeah. I think the, I feel it feels like, like Pooley Arby could probably do that too, but the expectation for him is bottom six, depth mm-hmm. guy that can do both. At this point, if Colin White's opening that door, Sam Poulin can bust through and also be, and now become uh, a top, uh, top two line guy with a higher ceiling mm-hmm. than Jesse Pooley Arby. Almost. Yeah. yeah, I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying. You, you've almost talked me into it, but considering uh, we each have one, I'm going to stay true to my guy, even though, again, I, I like what you're saying. I couldn't have said it better myself. So both of these guys have been performing well. They had a great week last week, as we outlined on, on last week's episode. They're having a good week again this week. Like we said, Poulin scored last night. Poul Yarvey put together a goal and an assist. Wilkes-Barre's winning a lot of games down there. Yol Blomqvist has looked really good. Uh, nice to see the farm system getting some success down there at the AHL level. They still can't beat the Hershey Bears, though. It's, a, it's frustrating. It's irritating. But, you know, maybe maybe they'll face them in the playoffs and the underdog will prevail at that point. But, you know, shout-out to those two performing well at the AHL level. And, you know, if you're P.O. Joseph, you're on the chopping block, man. Your fire is close to being extinguished. Uh, let's hopefully see him put some stuff together. It's just been a rather disappointing season for him. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you to everybody for tuning into this one, whether it be on YouTube at Inside the Penguins or anywhere you get your podcast from by simply searching Tip of the Iceberg. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, comment, all that fun stuff. Who would you vote off the island and who do you think should be the next guy in for the Pittsburgh Penguins if it's in the organization? Maybe next time we'll extend it out to the outside of the organization. We'll do it before the NHL's trade deadline. Maybe by then Kyle Dubas will get off his hands that currently don't have any blood running through them. But that's going to do it for this episode. We will see you guys next time.